Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way Podcast. You know, I've been in branding, brand strategy for 20 years now, and my um, career took a change last year when I sold my ownership in Root and River, and then later on launched Massive uh, with Virginia. And I'm still applying a lot of my knowledge of brand strategy, but but this time to uh, individual leaders and movements. But I'm still fascinated by the topic, and I'm also fascinated by the people I meet along the way. And someone I met um, several years ago that I just really admire the way her brain works, and she's got a, a kind heart and a quick mind. And um, so I'm joined today by my dear friend, Roran Killian. Roran is a business advisor, speaker, and instigator. And I'm going to ask her, ask you, Roran, welcome. Thank you for having me. Hello, hello. I'm Roran, like Lauren with an R. If people see my, if they see my actual spelling of my name and they yes. get intimidated, it is right. Lauren, like Lauren with an R. <laughs> right. That's, that's very helpful for us white folk. So, um, uh, so when, when you're at a, a cocktail party or a mixer and someone says, what do you do? What do you say? I am a human centered marketing and business advisor. And what I love to do is help people create space to own their unique human pace so that we can tackle what it means to create human synergy in the world. Because most of my clients are paradigm shifters. They're making massive change and their instinct is let's do it tomorrow. (laughs) And I'm like, Evolution happens over time, and my job is to help you instigate it, but doing it at a way to where you don't burn out. Yeah. So that's what I do on the day-to-day. And then mm-hmm. on the content creator side, people can find my YouTube, and it's where I have fun sharing human behind the brand moments where it just is like everything aligns in branding, where that artist or brand shows your full humanistic self and just mm-hmm. celebrating authentic human celebration versus sales and clout. Yes, right. And we bond over a lot of things. One of those things is this recognition of the arc of time and that we're moving from an era where the machines controlled the humans to where the humans control the machines. And and in fact, this is being posted on uh, July or being recorded on July 31st. But uh, Virginia just posted an article in our Substack about this transition of why leaders need to embrace um, complexity science, because complexity science um, it integrates the human influence on machines and the machines influences on humans, but in a way that is humanistic or pro-humanity, as opposed to seeing humans as just cogs in the machine. And I think we bond over that and we bond over the idea that marketing is a tool and it can be used for good. It doesn't have to be used to bullshit people or gaslight them or propagandize or any of that stuff. And so when we, you and I were talking, we're kicking around a topic. That's really what we settled on is this topic of branding for good. So I want to dig into the first question is, which is when and how should a brand take a stand on a social issue? Yeah. So let's get into it. So first off, I want to like clear and do a quick little history lesson for people to understand why we're in this conversation. If you have been hiding in your own little cocoon of 
personal transformation or just hiding away from the world it, since 2020. You may have not realized that everything that has happened since 2020 in the pandemic from Black Lives Matter to multiple different things happened for a reason. And brands have a voice in the conversation because brands and companies and organizations are actually where huge waves of change exist. Most people assume that big change happens when we go into activism and ask our governments to do that. But what really moves that momentum forward is where the money is, which is where we're talking about companies and organizations. So innovation and evolution and progress, and I like to very be very specific as progress, happens in business and specifically in marketing. Marketing plants a seed for everything. So that's why brands have a voice in this. And it's also something in our own making. Marketers We went from, to your point, machines into humans and humans controlling machines. In the early 1900s, humans were considered transactional, aka the employed, and everything was serving a very transactional purpose. But Mm -hmm. then starting in the 80s, you go away from aspirational goals of the 60s of keeping up with the Joneses to, I create a a laundry detergent where I'm building brand loyalty like a human being. And so brands are inherently human, its own living organism combined with multiple humans, and they have a voice. And a brand is not for everyone in both tactical services and in topics that they are inherently a part of. And Mm -hmm. it's actually asking yourself, is it uh, for brands, it's like, at what point are you directly involved or not directly involved, which is like the right. key piece. Um, I first, first and foremost, I say, when we're talking about should brands take a stand on social issues, that has to be decided internally, because you can't just say we are X on this, but then your business operations is creating, making you turn in yourself into a hypocrite. Like that just right. doesn't work. Right. So both the operations and the marketing have to agree and talk to each other. And leadership needs a lovely, a quick 101 class uh, in personal leadership and resiliency growth as the mm-hmm. face of the company, because it's really easy to say you support something. And then when you hit adversity or resistance, your own ego kicks in or your own demons can occur. And so and I always lovingly say um, culture problems in companies is not because of the actual individuals and in co- it's not because of like people are horrible. It's because leaders need to get therapy. <laughs> like that's the, that's the yeah. end of the piece to that. So there's yeah. a lot of complexity of when we're talking about social issues. Like if we're talking about be- taking a stand, social issues is the hardest thing to take a stand on. And there's a lot of internal work needed before we go into the outward space for it. And I think in 2020, there was a call and a need for this like silver bullet answer of here's the one size fits all for every single brand and company to act in this certain way. And they need to figure this out tomorrow when Mm -hmm. everything that I described up to this point is years of internal work, both as a company and as an individual that has to be discussed first. And so 
it's about acknowledging the human progress. So a brand should take a stand on a social issue that they are a directly involved in. Um, and then they need to set an explanation of we are in this, we are working on this and we have a game plan of working on this. So the transparency of announcing, having a plan into it, not just like, we're going to create a plan. And then you're, it's like, it's like basically like a Kickstarter of like, at some point you have to show the plan. So I just covered like 24 areas, (laughs) but social issues are kind of very complex. They're literally onions. Yeah, Yeah, it is that that's the complexity use of complexity science and them. Um, and I'll link to that article um, in the show notes. Um, so it's uh, it's interesting what you what you shared and just kind of I, I like the broad perspective and looking at it from like the context of what you of what you laid out. And one of the mantras we have is social pressure and market pressure are the same thing now. Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. you know when, the, when we get this question about when should we take a stand, you know, what on a social issue, and w- I love everything you said, and I would add a couple of things. One is there are some things that are not ideological or religious based or anything like that. And one of the things that I think is important for brands to realize is this idea that um, being, let's just say anti LGBTQT is a religious view air quotes. It's not a religious view. It's a human rights opinion that is based off of dehumanizing an entire group of people. So right. if, you know, I'm a libertarian in a lot of ways, if a business, this is that fine line of a business is, you know, maybe that's not something that they want to embrace. They, I, I, even then it's, you've seen what's happened like with Chick-fil-A where they have evolved significantly their position on, on that area, largely due to the fact that they're, they're, they're not, they're, they're treating it as a human rights issue. So I I would say that any human rights issue and really any environmental issue you know, like yes. clean water is not partisan or clean air is not partisan. Um, climate change is not partisan. It can be politicized, but it's not, it's not, uh, it's not partisan. And so those are, those are some of the areas. The other area too is um, you can, you can take a stand on something that is reflective of the values of the organization. So for example, if one of the values, and this is why we do the values work, we have a, a, a an immersive that we call making it matter, where we realign an organization's mission, vision, and values around this higher purpose. And so you take something that's a value, and let's just say it's dignity. Okay, it's not a it's not a far leap to realize that maybe if dignity is one of our values, we should put some brand muscle behind the uh, actual problem solving for. Um, homelessness or uh, veteran suicide rates, or you just pick a problem that is that is something that your brand can get behind because it's one of your values. It's it, the rest of it just will and, and right. leadership at that point. I think it, I think it depends. I think one thing when we talk about a stand, it's like, are you being an active participant or are you being a supporter? Because not everyone needs to be an active participator because active right. participants, like that's like the people that are in the weeds making the change because they're directly involved. They're part of the, they are part of the solution that will make this paradigm shift. Right. right? right. So if we use, for example, dignity or the value of equality, 
And let's say, let's use like race as an example. So Black Lives Matter, very specific, or um, Asian Pacific Heritage Month or something like that. What I say is like, there's two sides of that coin there in the, when we're talking about equality in representation based on race, which has up until this point historically been used as a format of dehumanization and putting people lower than them for, for right. monetary gain of a specific group of people. Um, the intent, the brands have two roles. They are either active in visual representation. So Barbie or someone, or like any uh, cartoon network, Netflix, right. They create visualization of that experience, right? Because the biggest problem in um, lack of diversity is not being seen. That's like problem number one, onion layer number one. And so if we're talking about that as brands, it's like, are you in the active visualization world, like what I described, or are you in the hiring equally world, right? So there's also, or allowing them into schools, for example, the most recent uh, Supreme Supreme Court law that was pulled um, for that could affect how different minority groups get into different schools, right. as an example. So which is politics aside, mm-hmm. that was a law that was created as a Band-Aid in a specific time period. And it does may or may not serve the current time period, mm-hmm. but that's politics aside yeah. for brands. It's about if we value of treating all human beings equally, and this is very key language, human beings, because when we say people, mm-hmm. a specific image occurs in our brains. But if we say human beings, it's all human beings. Mm-hmm. Otherism aside. And if that right. is treated equally, then the brand has to decide if I play in these two ballparks, then I must actively showcase something during a specific month. Mm -hmm. Um, But they could take it in different ways. Like I loved what uh, Mattel did. We're talking. So as we're filming this, Barbie has taken over the world. Barbie versus Oppenheimer. And they have done a really good job in showing diversity in their casting crew for the movie and in the artists of the music that they choose from. So Mm -hmm. they've done very well in that. And they have also notoriously been very intentional about how they're coming across and they've come a long way since the first creation of Oriental Barbie during Asian American Pacific Heritage Month. Mm -hmm. They had Oriental Barbie, which is a lot. Um, Yeah, all the way. (laughs) But they have learned. And then they the most recent one this year was uh, Amy Wong, who's a famous Mm -hmm. actress in the 1930s. And the power of this is answering the key thing is being seen. Mm -hmm. The trauma that occurs in not being seen and the otherization is when is when I was a child I would walk and I only see Barbies of white and black at most and there's nothing as an Asian American that I could see but now I don't have to worry about that being a trauma for my future child and that's healing for me and avoiding a trauma for them and that's progress yeah, and I think this goes back to consciousness to a large extent, and maybe maybe social consciousness only, but also spiritual consciousness. Because, as we say at Massive, um, consciousness, your level of consciousness, sort of determines how you view power. And mm-hmm. 
I've been considering this idea that I'm for now calling the kindness ethic. And the kindness ethic is inside of an organization. What is the kind thing to do? So an example of this is if you need some sort of ROI chart to make people feel seen, then you're just an asshole. You, <laughs> you know, you yeah. don't need the ROI, the data. Well, don't show me the data on being kind. There's no data on being kind. It's just being kind. And what that requires is human-centered leadership or heart-based leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, without it, and this kind of goes into my second question I wanted us to kick around is, what's the difference between allyship, you know, really getting behind, supporting, as right. you said, and just being patronizing? You know, right. so it's a uh, you know it's Black History Month, so we're gonna we're gonna our our ads for a, that month are gonna show more black people or whatever. You know what I'm saying? If there's right. A sort exactly. Of, so there's only skin deep as the yeah. saying goes, like yeah. since we're using we're using race as the topic, yeah. but it's very ironic that we're saying we're only using skin deep yes, at that right. point. Right. So it's only surface level. So Mattel put their money more their mouth is right. Right. They were like, we're going to create a product and you could someone could say, well, they're making money off of it. I was like, no, they're not. They're taking a risk and saying we are putting this product out there and doing that. And they owned the whole entire user experience of purchasing that Mm -hmm. and they owned it and they stood behind it in terms of like and this and this is where like target had backlash from both sides of the coin when it came to lgbtq when it came to pride month um with the things and uh because they put their money where more their mouth is where they had on offer retail products and due to misinformation someone literally taking one single product from one section of the store and decided to put it in another section of the store very intentionally for content, which is a whole other kettle of fish we will not get into. But in terms of Target had a choice, right? Which is boundaries and what they needed to do. Their boundaries was to say that they could have easily been more transparent in their communication. And this is where the leadership needs to get therapy comment kicks in because their reaction is quite literally that person, whoever made those final decisions, that's their, it's, that is their personal reaction to dealing with adversity because how target handled it was based off of a group of individuals who were in that, in that room, making that communication decision. And that, was resulting in that. And like, right. and there's a lot more emotional, intelligent ways of doing it. But again, this someone needs therapy, a lot of internal work to get to that point. As marketers, and when people ask me, how would you suggest Target to handle it? I would say they are 100% in their right in their ownership of boundaries of we don't allow people to do this in our stores, but they could say, we still support it. You could still offer it on the internet, which they did. And they could say, we still stand by the LGBT communities, but in these specific stores, we are going to take them away to read. So because our biggest value is the safety of both our customers and our employees, because there were actual Mm -hmm. death threats and bomb threats that were being created on there. And I remember seeing it roll out and I saw their press release and I was like, it was a very muddled way of saying that they were, they made Mm -hmm. all the decisions, but they had, they, they did it in the most passive way of communication to set the boundaries. They were horrible at boundary setting. 
basically, in a yeah. nutshell, which is a leadership or a personal yeah. therapy moment that yes. needs to be healed. Yes. So. It's interesting because on one hand, you have put your money where your mouth is. And then on the other, you have kind of this passivity. And, mm-hmm. you know, the if you put actual resources behind something, and I think of the two examples of brands that have made you know, put their money where their mouth is and they were not passive. They were very clear about their stance. Yeah. And one is the significant shift after George Floyd's murder of the NFL. So mm. the NFL for years, largely, I think um, all but one of the owners, maybe I may be wrong about this, but the large majority of the owners are white, old white men. And they were, um, they, they did not understand the, the, um, racial differences in society and because i in my opinion largely from insulation they were insulated from it because that's what wealth does um but and so they would they would they wouldn't prior to night uh 2000 uh to, to george floyd's murder they didn't take a stand on anything you know yeah. they wanted they tried to shut down um various you know nfl players that were taking a knee for and protests they there was a lot of like um, behind the scenes gaslighting of of activist players and things like that. And then one day, all of a sudden, it's got Black Lives Matter in the end zone and it's everywhere. And they spend a shit ton of money on supporting Black Lives Matter or elements of you know racial justice. That to me is an example of not being passive and putting and you know it's 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 true allyship. And then another positive example is um, what happened with Cracker Barrel when they last year, I think it was the first year they did this. They, they painted one of their rocking chairs rainbow and, and said, y'all are welcome. And, you know, there's a saying here in Austin, you probably, you know, I'm sure you have seen too of y'all means y'all and this type of folksy inclusivity, um, which is not passive. It's, it's, it's stating uh, it's 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 a it's part of the kindness ethic is that I was right. referring to. Um, I still think you see a lot of um, lip service around certain issues, but the forced transparency, the fishbowl effect of social media, prevents companies from just being uh, you know from just doing something just for the surface part of it. Yeah. Um, I think most of the surface stuff happens on at an individual level where allyship is seen as, you know, you change your Facebook uh, uh, photo to a Ukrainian flag or something, which is nice, but that's not activism. That's just changing your Facebook profile. Right. It's not, it's not direct and it's, it's not, it's not direct and it's not putting your money where your mouth is, which I think are two great thresholds. The last thought on this particular question that I have, and I'll kick it back to you is, um, it's, it's what do you do under pressure? Um, and you know, the, the far right is going to use Bud Light and what happened. They're the only, as far, no, as far as I know, the only brand that recent brand that took a stance on a social issue and, and it blew up in their face in a negative way, financially and market share wise. I um, do want to point out that yeah. the whole Bud Light situation was the most surface level communication plan possible. Yes. Yes, yes. yes exactly. So poorly in poor intention, poorly executed, a bunch of other things. But that's the anomaly. Um, the the by and large, you when you take a stand, it's good for your brand. Right. Um, and 
and I think that's the other thing too, is like, what are you afraid of? I remember Michael Jordan was, I think, justly, justifiably criticized for, back in the 80s and 90s for not taking political stances, very different than like LeBron James now. And he says, that's because Republicans buy shoes too. Well, that's not putting your money where your mouth is, and it's passive as hell. And that's a, a you know, it's an older example, but you wouldn't be able to do that now. I don't think as a, as a, as a, as a major brand, you wouldn't be able to have that kind of position. I think it, I think it really depends, right? Again, it's not about where you take a stand and how you, like, I feel like there's, there's this need where it's like, we either take a stand or we don't take a stand. And it's a, uh, it's black and white. Like there's this yeah. need for black and white on it. And I was like, yeah, how a brand realistic. shows up. Yeah. And how a brand shows up will vary very differently. For example, Starbucks did um, their, in diversity, their stake is in who they employ. And yeah. so their, their way of creating content is telling the stories of their employees and they chose not to do any products. Um, the only product that they do is Starbucks is also a completely international brand. So when we're talking about diversity, that is a United States only problem in a very United States bubble. I mean, there's divert the variation of diversity changes in different narratives, depending on what country you're a part of. But mm -hmm. in the U.S., diversity, the way we talk about diversity and the problem of DEI and all the things is a very U.S. problem. It's not mm -hmm. like even if you go to Canada, it changes. Right. And so Starbucks is very intentional that they are, we are a world brand and how we show up is, but we know that we offer and employ diversity in no matter what country we're a part of. So we will, we will focus on that narrative in it. And when it comes to celebrating holidays, they did Lunar New Year in all the countries that celebrate Lunar New Year, but they will never do Lunar New Year holiday products in the United States until it becomes a national holiday. Right. And which to this day, it is still not, mm -hmm. <laughs> by the way, like it's not, it's on every one, every single Google calendar that you could think of because Google is an international brand, but it's not and right. technically not. We don't sure. get a day off for <laughs> it. So that's yeah. the reality of that. Um, I think the big thing is, I will leave it with this of for any brand that is listening is that whatever decision you do, you own the boundaries to it. Mm -hmm. And this it's a, it's everything that when people talk about, Oh, Bud Light had all these uh, uh, bad problems with taking stand. The problem wasn't that they took a stand. The problem was that they were horrible at owning boundaries. Right. Right. Yeah. Ex uh, yeah. And also, um, it's a class. It, it's a class example of everything not to do in leadership 101. <laughs> right. Yeah. And marketing. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think too, is there is an element of this of like, read the room too, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, and understanding that there's a different way to approach your audience. You know um, I think of NASCAR banning the Confederate flag, you know, they, they mm -hmm. made, they took a stand on a, on that social issue and they, and they made it a thing but they didn't turn it into some sort of promotional campaign against yeah. you know, race, systemic racism. And I think that I'd like what you said um, that, you know, if there's nuance here too, there's various ways to do things. A lot of it goes down to like most things in life, intention and execution. If your intention is murky and your execution sucks, it's probably not going to work. 
And at best, it'll come across as pretentious or right. clumsy. And at worst, it will be a full-blown backlash. Yes. At worst, it's a full-blown backlash and backlash, and a bunch of people are going to get fired. Um, but I just want to say, though, to, to, to business leaders, if you're listening to this, too, is that remember, Bud Light is the anomaly in this whole process. This, this bullshit that DeSantis says about go woke, go broke is just not true. It's like a lot of things that he says. They're just not true. And, um, you look at, you know, Patagonia and Nike and Starbucks and Google and PayPal, and uh, you could go on for, I could list company names for hours that public stances on social issues and benefited from it directly. So last part of this is kind of the practical aspect of it, um, based on your expertise and some, to some uh, degree, mine as well is this term you use um, uh, called human-centered marketing. What is that? What does it look like? How do how does someone know they're either doing human-centered marketing or exp- or receiving it? So human-centered marketing refocuses on the human relationship because my favorite quote from Simon Sinek puts it very well that no matter what country or what race or whatever, any other isms of category you have a narrative and background from, it still applies. Human beings do business with human beings. They don't mm. do, they don't do business with like fake organizations. And so the key number, because we were like, oh, revenue goals, et cetera. And I was like, there's a lot of things that go into revenue goals and that a lot of it has to do with supply and demand. But the key thing when we're talking about marketing is brand retention and brand loyalty, right? It's customer retention and brand loyalty, two key words. That's what we look for in if a brand is doing human-centered marketing well. So if you ask me, what's the ROI of everything? Are you retaining your customers? And are they so excited about you? They're talking about you to extreme. And I can give you metric upon metric of how to actually track that. Um, With human-centered marketing at a very qualitative level, it's the visual representation of word of mouth. It's the need to not feel like you're hustling anymore and to serve you. People go into business mainly because they want to help people. Mm-hmm. That's been the vibe. Right. Right. The old saying of I started this business, want to get rich and sell it. That's been that shift has changed since 2018. Most companies coming into the business today is because they like a product and they like what they do and they genuinely love serving people and bring joy into the world. Like there's only a small percentage of the world that are sociopaths and psychopaths, guys. Like that's, (laughs) I have to point this out. They create a a much higher percentage of CEOs, by the way. That's have you seen? It is. (laughs) Yeah. 21%. And what we say in change in mass adoption is 30%. So if we're 10% away, That's what creates that transactional thinking, right? So when we're talking about human-centered marketing, it's about, are we focusing not on the surface level, not on the transaction and back on what makes this relationship valuable, Mm -hmm. not based on the service that we offer, et cetera, but the end experience and feeling and impact that we are leaving with each other. And this applies both to consumers and to employees. Half my job as a marketer is getting yeah. employees through the door. Right. So yeah, especially those are the two lifebloods. Yeah, that's that's really good. And especially considering that 
you know, it's this, the saying of business to business or business to consumer isn't really a thing anymore. It's all H to H it's all human to human. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I challenge people when I say, well, who's your ideal client? And they go, I work with companies that are say, no, 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 no. You don't work with companies. You work with people. They may run companies or work at companies, but companies don't buy shit. People do. Um, so I think, um, this, this idea of human-centered marketing, I go back to a, a cartoon I saw years ago by Hugh McLeod when he was still, when he, he's one of the founders of Gaping uh, Void, which is a kind of a, uh, it's a thought leadership using cartoons uh, brand. And he says, if you treated, if you, if advertisers um, treated their friends the way they treat their customers, they would get punched in the face. And absolutely. <laughs> so this is a very simple thing, which is what, what would you, how would you communicate with a friend? It kind of goes back to the kindness ethic that I was referring right. to earlier. The and empathy ethic and the is empathy what I'm ethic. hearing. Right, yes. exactly. And, and so what that means is um, what is your intention? There's nothing wrong with wanting to make money. There's nothing wrong with, I mean, that's how you're going to do good in the world. Your brand for good to make money. So because money is a type of power um, and, it, right. and it gives you a lot more velocity than trying to change public policy through, you know, the legislative process. Um, so you got to make money. Um, but um, if you, if you are focusing on, um, if you're focusing on persuasion and manipulation and using gaslighting tactics, it doesn't matter how, much social good you're doing with your brand at that point, because it's a bit tainted. The fact that you exploited people to give you money. And then now you're out doing, you know, good air quotes in the world. Um, and I think the other aspect of this, when it comes to my perspective of human centered marketing is, are is it believable? Do you seem real? And you go back and you look at like red wing boots or Stetson or some of the early copywriting of Nike, um, the writing was so real and so good. It's no coincidence that a lot of brands in the early 1900s used uh, later on who became famous authors like Hemingway and Louis L'Amour. They were, they were writers because they could tell a story and human centered marketing. I like to look at it this way is that you're just in a room with a bunch of people that maybe, you know, some, maybe you don't know others. How do you behave? And what do you talk about? Right. It's not that hard. It's, Tell stories, be honest, listen. That's yeah. human-centered marketing to me. Human-centered marketing is very much the human relationship because that's actually what goes viral on the internet. The what goes yeah. viral is that like meeting in the room, that clinking of champagne glasses, but then done right. at the infinite level, right? It's with that unique human relationship that makes that glass clink and then the perfect of timing. That's right. what creates that viral moment. And- yeah. The power of human-centered marketing is that it will make you go viral and retain the people that right. come through that moment. You need yeah. to have both. Yeah, it's like anti, anti-Groupon. I mean, it's like the opposite of Groupon, where you get all the traffic but none of the retention. Yeah. Um, I think it's also interesting when you think about how a brand um, is, is interacting with an audience on a day-to-day basis, they can do it at scale now, Mm -hmm. you know, where you can, you can scale word of mouth. 
Um, right. You can scale Visual representation it, of word of mouth is user generated content. That's exactly. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and, you know, that organic word of mouth can be amplified as well. Um, mm -hmm. That's why, you know, I don't, I don't do brand strategy in the classic sense anymore, but back when I did, I was, I was always saying like, just faces and names. That's just show faces and names like a small town newspaper does um, because yep. that creates that humanness of a brand. Um, it's, it feels safer to hide behind the logo, hide behind the name, hide behind the cheesy slogan, hide behind click funnels and TV ads and billboards and all that shit. But it's not really safe because the people that are going to work for you and buy from you in the future all want to know what you believe in. Right. And this is the my final thought on this is when you're doing human-centered marketing, Focus on values, not value. Mm -hmm. What do you believe in? And share that with the world. What is your mission? Share that with the world. What is your vision for the future of humanity? Share that with the world. And, and if you can create values alignment, the audience is smart enough to figure out the value of what you're selling. Exactly. Humans, at the end of the day, a human being wants to know another human being based on why they do all that they do. Right. It's right. Everything that you described is like the rays of the rainbow where everything lands on. But what people really want to know and what they fall in love with is the light in a human being. And that's the powerful point to it. And I really want to reemphasize this is because in 2020, every human being on this planet was faced with the mortality question of if you don't exist in the next 72 hours, what do you regret? And it's not this money. <laughs> It's right. about what did they, did they spend enough time? Did they spend enough being themselves Were they, or were they like focused on everybody else? Like that's yeah. what they care about. And if your brand is only about keeping up with the Joneses or this aesthetic or this logo or this clout, then that's not going to land anymore on that person. Right. And, and what's happening now is there's a consciousness gap. So if you have leaders and you have a company that's higher, higher conscious, you're going to attract higher conscious people. If you are doing the same old thing that kind of the classic traditional approach to business and you, where you, 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 you know, you keep work at work and home at home and you don't integrate and all of that stuff, you, you're, that audience is shrinking. Um, you can look at it, you know, the leading edge of this change is in voting habits and you can look at the um, blueification of rural America, largely due to young people moving back into rural locations because it's cheaper and they can work from home or start a business, but they're bringing with them our progressive views. Well, the same thing applies again, market pressure, social pressure, same thing is, is in my challenge to leaders all the time. This is why I like to talk to rooms full of old white guys, which is which side of history are you going to be on with your brand? Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all you really need to know. If you're going to be on the right side of history, you can be a little bit clumsy. You can, you know, it may not always be the best execution. You'll learn, you'll learn as you go. But if you insist on being on the wrong side of history on certain things, especially related to human rights, you, th that's the new irrelevancy. Not that your product became obsolete, but because you became obsolete. And that's the, that's the challenge. That goes back to my earlier saying of leadership needs therapy. I think right. the biggest thing <laughs> is change is constant. 
change is constant. And what we define as the right side of history today will metamorphosize literally two years from now, right? Like change is constant. And as business leaders, it's about being able to say, how do we evolve with the least amount of suffering? Right. And that takes a lot of personal growth in that space. I think my favorite question, and I'll end this note to those for business leaders that are like, okay, I'm learning that there are boundaries, but I still feel very intimidated and I want everything to be perfect. And the reality is that human beings are naturally imperfect, but it is the confidence in standing up behind your decisions. That's the key piece of when we talk about wishy-washy versus standing with boundaries. And that's the key to it. It's like Bear Grylls, the survivalist talks about, you've got to commit. Mm-hmm. Whatever you're doing, you got to commit because that's what gets you killed in nature yes. is not committing. And same thing true here. What will is that sort of either is either perfectionism or um, trying to do everything perfect so that no one gets their feathers ruffled. It's just not going to happen. Just just say what you need to, what needs to be said. So, yeah. well, this was as expected a fascinating conversation. You have a beautiful mind. <laughs> I love the oh, way you thank think. Thank you. And um, I'll link to your stuff in the um, in the show notes and really grateful for this conversation. Of course. Thank you for having me.